about to witness could well revolutionize your way of thinking. We are presenting startling facts and evidence that take up where other explanations leave off. Some of these revelations may very well go against things you have been taught and perhaps believed all your life. Prepare yourself for the evidence which will follow. Well, before we go any further, I want to welcome Dwayne Watson. Have you ever, have you now, or have you ever gone by Dwayne the Rock Watson? (laughs) No, but I do have people call me that every now and then. (laughs) Um, In the 90s, it used to be, it was always Dwayne Wayne. Mm. So, you know, that's changed recently. So, yeah, well, now it's all Dwayne the Rock. So long forgotten are the folk heroes of old. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Indeed. But it was a, it was a it was a different world. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, double jokes. Oh, speaking of that, the Bill Cosby jury declared a mistrial, or the judge declared a mistrial today. Oh yeah, I, I just saw yesterday they were talking about the jury couldn't reach a verdict, but I didn't yeah. follow up on that. So I was uh, pouring through my phone and going over the news up until we started talking here because um there there were uh four or five people arrested at the pride parade about an hour ago at a columbus gay pride okay uh Hmm. it's it's little sketchy details coming out but from what i've heard uh right now and i'll i'll be updating on the the facebook group and everything like that but yeah four or five uh people of color protesters were protesting against the um uh, protesting for a moment of silence for Flando Castile, mm-hmm. um, because the verdict for the police officer for him came out yesterday. Uh, that was the one in Minnesota, right? Yes, sir. Uh, okay. So it was that, and some general. Uh, I'm also hearing it was a general sit-in for advocating for more visibility of people of color in the LGBTQ community, and the protesters. Right from all reports were really cool, really embracing, like, uh, or the people marching in the parade were very embracing of the protest. And I think it might've even been approved of or supported by the parade organizers, but, uh, people were pepper sprayed and arrested. My wife's actually at a protest, uh, outside the police station right now. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Wow. So, you know, I was just pouring over the, <laughs> the news, and I was like, oh, well, there's another shitty thing. Nice. Anyway, welcome to another episode <laughs> of the Psycho-Semantic Podcast. Um, to all of you, uh, welcome to your first appearance, Dwayne. Thank you. How are you doing today, man? Yeah, thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm doing really well. Um, kind of have the house to myself. Uh, my wife went out of town to go see her dad, and uh, so just me and six cats, so... <laughs> That's, that's what it is. Are they in the room with you right now? Or are they watching? Well, in the studio, it's just one. Um, we have uh, our oldest cat. She doesn't like anybody else. So she lives in the, in the front part of the house, mm. uh, which is where my studio is. And so she's she's in here and she hangs out. And so every now and then she'll probably like be like, hey, why aren't you paying attention to me? Um, <laughs> yeah. 
but everybody else is in the is in the other part of the house just hanging out and and chilling so yeah cats are kind of funny like when you tell people you have six cats they they look at you really funny but they don't always do that when you say like i have six dogs maybe they do i don't know but they definitely look at you weird when you say six cats but uh my cats are better behaved than most people's children so <laughs> i think i think i'm okay with six <laughs> yeah if somebody told me they had six dogs i would say i hope you live on a farm yeah or something yeah. if somebody told me they have six cats <laughs> First, just because I have a lot of lesbian friends, I would check to make sure it wasn't a lesbian couple because, uh, Oh, sure. You know, when you start a relationship, you bring all of your previous life with you and right. Say you've got two cats because a lot of people like to have two cats and then Mm -hmm. get together and there's four, four right away. So I I don't start worrying about people till they stop, (laughs) stop bathing and, uh, you know, maybe look like, uh, What's her face? Goldie Hawn in uh, Death Becomes Her. Oh, yeah. This is Aaron Sharp. It's me, your landlord. Open the door, please. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, my, my wife likes to watch Hoarders sometimes, and that's I can't watch that show uh, very long. But she's always like, oh, you know, you, you'll see the ones who are the animal hoarders, and it's just so it's so terrible. And I just don't understand it at all. But um, yeah, we're definitely not. In, we're definitely not in that situation. My wife is a crazy cat lady, but that's you know she takes that. <laughs> she wears that with pride. So yeah. um, spay and neuter your yeah. pets, folks. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We got all of ours taken care of as soon as they were able to. So there's just there's too many people. There's too many cats running around. As it is, you know, it's 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 bad. So yeah, there's plenty. Oh no. Yeah, it was not as bad as I've seen Australia um, for a while there. They had a really bad problem because they had a problem with rabbits first. And then they introduced cats to kill the rabbits. And the rabbits were like, or the cats are just like, hey, nothing will eat us either. So we're just going to totally like <laughs> set up shop. Um, like so, yeah, it's one thing, one thing to another. <laughs> Swallow the spider to catch the fly. But I don't know why she swallowed the fly. I guess I'll die. <laughs> Speaking of living out poetry, yeah, really. today we're going to talk yeah. about 1989's Dead Poet Society, starring Robin Williams, Ethan Hawke, Robert Sean Leonard, Kurt Wood Smith from, uh, what, That 70s Show and Robocop, as the yeah, dad that yeah. we'll, I'm sure we'll get to talking about. And from oh, yeah. what I saw, Laura Flynn Boyle, but she was cut out of the movie. Yeah, I saw that on the featuring, and I kept looking for, like, but who did she play? And I was like, I don't remember seeing her. So that was, uh, <laughs> that's so funny that they put her in the credits, but she's cut out of the movie. So Yeah, what, one thing I saw said that she was notified the day before the movie premiere that she shouldn't go because she was cut <laughs> out of the movie. Oh, how terrible. Yeah. <laughs> And then like, she to, to be looking to look to be looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she was <laughs> she was definitely pretty young. I mean, she played yeah. uh, Jenny Danbury, who was I think the younger sister of Chet. Oh, Chet's. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, that's when they mention her, right? Uh, when Knox shows up and uh, and Chris is all like, "Did you, you know, mm. you're looking for Jenny. Jenny or whatever?" She says she mentions her. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, a little. I didn't, I didn't even think of Chet as having a sister. 
Yeah, I don't know. You'd think he would be less less of a dick if he had sister. But I don't know. I'm I sure don't plenty know. Of assholes maybe. Have had sisters, oh. but my older sister pounded True. the respect for women into my head with left mm-hmm. and right at every indiscretion as a child. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, I have a younger sister, uh, but it's, she's, she's always been different. Um, she's mentally handicapped, and so it's a different relationship. She's still basically like 13 years old. So it's always been more of a, you know, more protective, I guess, and much more like uh, just making sure she doesn't hurt herself. <laughs> yeah. Do something stupid, you know, that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, and, some uh, extra protective because so. people are already protective of their little sister. Yeah, right. Unless they're assholes. You yeah. have a show yourself uh, that that I quite enjoy, and I'm waiting for a, a promo so I can start playing it because I'm, <laughs> I'm lazy and forget to bring it up without just copying and pasting the file. But tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, my brother and I, my brother David and I do a podcast called Watch, Read, Listen, and the title was just chosen because we it's about things you watch and you read and you listen to. So that was kind of it. Um, we wanted to talk about, you know, books and movies and uh, music and uh, TV shows. So we just, that's what we named it. Um, so my brother, every now and then he says uh, he wants to change the name, but I'm like, yeah, but it already sticks and we already have it built up. So, or we're starting to, so. Yeah, it's hard to change. Um, but that's what I do. Um, yeah, it's hard to change a name once you've already got it. Um, we've done that with band stuff too. You know, it's like once you've decided on a name, you kind of have to stick with it until, you know, you just if you have a transitional period, you can change it, do something <laughs> yeah. different. But uh, and sometimes you get stuck with a name, and you're like, why are we that? Well, because that's what we are, and because we know, thought that was cool. Nobody else we had a better 15. idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. David could probably talk more about that too, because he had a they had a band name. Uh, he had a band back in, gosh, later high school, I guess, and. Uh, I think they changed. They were named after a song uh, by another band, and then they changed it to something else. And I think David was still like unhappy with that too. Uh, but yeah, Watch Where You Listen is our podcast. Uh, you can check us out at WatchWhereYouListen.net and on Facebook and Twitter is WRL Podcast, which is mostly just me when I remember to post. <laughs> I'm bad at Twitter. But yeah, we need to do the. It was your idea, right, to make the uh, the promo about how we couldn't figure out what to do for a promo. Yeah. I, I believe, think you right? might even be able to take yeah, copy to... all the times you've talked about how you don't know how to do a promo. Yeah, I think the only thing li- limiting me on right now is I haven't gone back and actually found those clips yet, but uh, <laughs> I think that's the that's the goal, is <laughs> to make the non-promo promo. Anybody out here, so, if you're catching we, we up are, on we... the back catalog, re- get, a hold of, get, a, get a hold of him in the group. Tell him where in the episodes it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like those uh, the, all those big podcasts who can get people to like tell them their best moments so they don't have to find them themselves mm-hmm. uh, for their year-end retrospectives. So, crowdsource. <laughs> yeah, but we're enjoying that. So it's pretty cool. Um, it gives us a chance to talk to each other, you know. Also, just to to schedule time, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like how people do lunch dates. I guess I guess people do that. I don't do that, but I've heard that it happens. So we just do that by a podcast and we record it. Yeah, the only problem we have right now is we're having trouble getting the schedule together um, to record stuff as much as we were when we first started, which is weird because I'm not working full time at the moment. Um, 
and I was working full time when we started, but it seems like it was easier to get together to talk about stuff back then. So it's so weird, but happens. Mm-hmm. See, our next episode is going to be on the Zodiac movie, David Fincher's Zodiac, and uh, Dirty Harry. Although I think when this is released, that re- episode will already be out, most likely, right? Because you have like a yeah, a yeah, backlog. Most likely, I've, I've got a as of today. I've got an episode coming out on Tuesday. Then yeah. two weeks later, unless somehow I ramp things up and just start doing something every week, but two weeks later, um, I've got an episode that I could put out. But you know, right. if, if, uh, I might sometimes I switch switch them around. That one was a uh, a commentary with uh, my wife. I had a couple requests oh, for her to come back. So we put together an experimental series of her watching movies that she's refused to watch for some reason. Okay. Because of That's being told about a yeah. certain type of violence, seeing if we get through them mm-hmm. and seeing what she thinks and what she says during it. Uh, we did uh, deliverance the other day. Oh, rad. Yeah. My wife and I, we, I've thought about trying to get us to do something, but she, she gets nervous about talking um, as herself. Um, mm-hmm. She's an actress um, she's done, uh, theater and she's done audiobook narration as well. And so when it comes to like, when we are like, Oh, Hey, would you want to be on the show? Would you want to talk about this? She's like, Oh no, I don't really feel like it. Cause she feels like that's more exposure than she's used to feeling when she's on stage, um, mm. in front of people. Um, and so like, she just doesn't want to do that. She was on one of our episodes on, uh, one of our game of Thrones episodes, I think, uh, a year ago. Um, but that's all she's ever done. Uh, we are, however, planning on sometime recording an audiobook together. Um, I want to do The Constellation of Philosophy by Boethius because um, it's got a female part and a male part, so we can kind of oh, cool. switch off. So that's kind of what we're going to do instead of doing like podcasts. My other idea of a show with her would be it have to be a video show, and it would be I give her different types of whiskey and record <laughs> the face that she makes. <laughs> Cause I think that would be funny because she makes really funny faces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I get a YouTube so channel. It would be too. really short. So. Would she ever do? An that's episode? right. That's right. Though. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh, you're fine. Go ahead. Oh, thank I right, Thank you. Would, uh, would yeah. your, would your lady think about doing a show on a movie from the perspective of one of her favorite characters she's ever played? That could be fun. Yeah, I don't know if we've ever, we haven't really talked about that, but that's a good idea. Um, kind of role play it or whatever, do something different. That would be a cool idea um, for her to do. And this is actually, by the way, Dead Poets Society is one of her favorite movies. Oh. Um, yeah. Um, we didn't get a chance to watch it together because she's in, uh, she's doing her first musical. She's in Mary Poppins. Um, not as, a, as anybody in the main, she's in the ensemble, but it's the very first time she's done a musical. And she's not a singer. Uh, and she's not a dancer, so but she's like, I want to try this and see if it'll do it, uh, if we can do it. And there's a, a local theater in Conroe called the Crichton. It's in this really old movie theater um, from like the 30s, and um, it's a really cool space. And so she's she's really enjoying that. But now they're on like they open in a month, so now they're on like everyday rehearsals mm. except for like Friday and Saturday. So we kind of ran out of time, unfortunately, to watch this one together because she wanted she didn't want to watch it with me. Um, but I had to watch it by myself. So <laughs> my wife didn't watch it with me either, but I supposedly have a obsession with 
movies about school. I'm she okay. tells me. Yeah. So she has, you know, seen it. We've been together about eight years. Um Yeah. So she she's in and out and she's all I mean, like right now she's at a protest at a police station. And I watch most of the most a lot of my movies uh at night when everybody's sleeping anyway, because uh, yeah. the two year old just wants to watch Big Trouble in Little China. It's all in the reflexes. Wow, Big Trouble in Little China, that's great. I just I love that movie. I need to figure out the politics yeah. of that and have it on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess you could. T- yeah, I guess you could approach it from a, sex trafficking, you know, from a racial perspective or appropriation. Sex, sex, yeah, sex trafficking would be perfect too. Hey, you never know. You try. There's a couple different outlets if you had the right people to talk about it. So, good, yeah. done deal. It's interesting. Cool. We're gonna stop recording right now. We're gonna go watch Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> but I mean, um, I know I I gave you a list. It was a very small list mm. of, of films. Yeah. But um, I imagine, when, when did you first see Dead Poets Society? I had a, a period there where I went, I started off in school, like in elementary school, not really liking to read very much. And then I, I saw the, uh, uh, the animated Hobbit mm. and the Return of the King. And so I got into that and was like, oh, it's a book. So I went and checked out Return of the King from the library and I opened the first page and I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> this is completely different than the movie I saw what's going on. Uh, and realized that, okay, this was the third volume of a book. And so, uh, I, but I got really into like the end part of it, the runes and the history stuff and all of that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I started writing stuff, uh, at the same time I was reading some science fiction stuff too. I got into that Isaac Asimov specifically. And oh, then, sorry. uh, I liked, and then, yeah, and then all of a sudden I like writing, and it's just like this weird transition where it's like it was Tolkien and Asimov, and then H.G. Wells probably after that, and I was suddenly I was like I love reading and writing, but I wasn't really big into poetry for a long time, like that took longer. Mm-hmm. Um, it took I mean all I would say probably sometime in high school before I got into poetry. Um, so yeah, so poetry is a I love nowadays I love it. I mean it's 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 so great. Um, pretty much any type of poetry, I'm a pretty open. Um, to uh, to a lot of different sorts. Um, I think it's kind of interesting right now. There's actually a, po- a book of poetry called Milk and Honey mm-hmm. that's been really popular, um, and it's kind of neat to see high schoolers coming in and buying it because it's mostly high schoolers. I see it's not um, you know adults, um, but I just love the idea that they're coming in and they're buying you know bookstore buying poetry. Yeah, you know I'd like to see more, of course, but it gives me hope for the future maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I feel like. Kind of like with this movie, um, you a lot of people get to the, there's that age where you, 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 you awaken if you're gonna awake to being into poetry and finding the poets that you dig. Like um, I, when I was about fourteen, I got really into the Beats. Okay, yeah, you know a lot of uh, Allen Ginsberg, uh, especially Allen Ginsberg, um, but you know. Jack Kerouac, William Burroughs, I read all their mm-hmm. all their books, all their poetry stuff. I started writing weird poetry, especially when I was on something, you know, <laughs> sitting in a dark corner yeah. at the party, scribbling in my notebook. 
you know, all that, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. We, we did a lot, right. a, a lot of stuff. I don't remember if it was half the beats, half the dead poets or what, but there was, mm-hmm. you know, gathering together and writing poetry and reading poetry to each other and smoking unfiltered cigarettes and all that stuff you think you're <laughs> supposed to do to be a poet. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool that it's still that happening. Yeah. Yeah. I like to see, like I said, I like to see that. And, uh, as long as people get into, into literature and in pretty much any way, I'm pretty happy with that. Um, there's so much, you know, I've been working, I've been working in a bookstore for the last like six months Okay. And uh, it's a major chain bookstore, which tells you exactly which one it is because there's only one left. But um, <laughs> it's uh, for the most part in the United States. Um, but there's a uh, Amazon. I, mean, I didn't. I didn't realize just. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know how many people come to our store and ask us, "Hey, how, so how do I get that Kindle?" Uh, or <laughs> I, I was I was looking up this book on on your website and they show me a page of Amazon. I'm like, um, we're not we're not Amazon. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that is my enemy. Which Amazon just bought. Yeah, Amazon just bought Whole Foods of all things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh. Yesterday, I heard so. they were gonna open the grocery stores, but I guess they just buying them. But anyway, that's definitely a way to do it. So yeah. But yeah, yeah so um, but people at the bookstore, you know, it's like you see people and they buy like uh, James Patterson, for example, is the one I like to harp on because I didn't know anything about Patterson before I started at the bookstore. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been reading since I was a, since I've been a teacher. I mostly read stuff for school, and it was all whatever we were reading for that. And then if I read something on my own, it was going to be something like you know J.R.R. Tolkien or C.S. Lewis or Asimov or somebody like that, uh, Heinlein or whatever. It's going to be something you know like that that I like, and uh, and so I was like Patterson. Yeah, I was like, found out. Oh, he wrote uh, Kiss the Girls and uh, Along Came a Spider. And I was like, oh, those were movies, right? <laughs> so I've heard of those. Um, and then I was like, I noticed he kept coming out with books. Like I've only been at this bookstore for six months and he's come out with like six books. And I was like, this is so weird. And somebody's like about three months in, they're like, yeah, he doesn't actually write the books. He just outlines them and then gives our story, you know, comes up with a story and then gives it to somebody else. And you can see their name is at the bottom. His name is really big at the top and their <laughs> name is at the bottom. Oh God. And, uh, so that's what it is. And it's just, that whole concept of like this people come in and they come, they come in to buy the book and they're like, it's, it's just throwaway literature. You know, they just, they buy it, read it real quick and then they're done with it. Where's the next one? When's the next one come out? I don't know. Beach books. You know, um, yeah. Half the time they can't even think about what they've read before. They're like, I don't remember what I read. What was the last one? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. Let me look it up. You know? <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, sorry. what do you think about this Lee child guy? I'm like, I didn't even know Jack Reacher was based on the book until I started working at the bookstore. And I was like, really? Uh, so there's this guy named Lee Child, and he has a book. It's all this Jack Reacher stuff. And he's like six foot something or other. Not Tom Cruise. But anyways. <laughs> like um, but it's really cool. So that, <laughs> Yeah, but I think it's, it is really cool to see, uh, get people into classical literature as much as possible, um, which is something that I do appreciate Barnes & Noble, just to say like they do have the, the classics that are really cheap and the paperback. And I'm always encouraging people to buy those if they can, you know, get read a, you know, Jane Austen or read uh, Mary Shelley or, you know, Bram Stoker or whoever, you know, Thoreau comes up a lot, you know, speaking mm-hmm. of Dead Poet Society. So the older a book is, the stranger I feel reading it on a tablet, I think. 
Yeah, I can feel that. I've actually got a bunch of old books on my uh, on my Kindle because um, there was a service that used to come out with like a free book every day, and you could it was always a classic. So now I've got all these this backlog of old books from like the late eighteen hundreds to read. Cool. But they're all on my Kindle. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you, you so. run out of places to put bookshelves eventually. You know, you gotta find a happy medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got. We, we, when we bought this house, we uh, converted. You know, it says dining room, and we're like, "What do we need a dining room for?" It's a library. So when you walk into our house, it's the you go through the, the hallway at the front, and then the dining room was open to that part, and it's just it's just bookshelves, nice. um, all along the wall, and you know the whole nook thing like that. So um, but yeah, you're, you're saying about uh, old books and ebooks. Yeah, I just how uh, you feel about reading. <laughs> I, I, I try to find a happy medium. I, like I, uh, I get a lot of my graphic novels on my tablet, um, especially the giant compendiums that I you know, yeah don't want to carry around a five pound book. Uh, but I've I've still got some of those. Uh, my my band used to practice up above a comic book shop, so though oh, I was always saying, "Hey, there's this new comic that came out called The Walking Dead." Here's here's uh you should check out the first issue and stuff like that um always yeah. gravitated a little bit more towards the the short runs and the uh the indie comics i guess i, I like superheroes and i don't yeah. knock the superhero comics but i never really got into them uh as mm-hmm. much yeah my yeah my problem most recently has been there's not a good jumping on point and it feels like they keep redoing everything even after they get it redone mm-hmm. and i'm just like i don't know what to do like i tried to jump on a dc with a new 52 and they've undone that and then x-men just had the thing called resurrection that i was gonna get into but now i'm like two months behind um and i'm like i don't know what to do um it's just it's very i, I feel very lost whereas I, I can just start reading like old comic books like anywhere it's like easy mm-hmm. um and I have some of those like I like I love those Marvel Essentials, the black and white ones, because they were cheap, and you could get a bunch of books in it. And uh, DC had I think had had their version of it too. But um, I actually just recently bought we had it on our clearance rack at the store. I got the absolute All Star Batman and Robin, the Frank Miller and Jim Lee one. Ooh, that's like a hundred dollars. I got it for like twenty five bucks, so I was excited. I kind of sniped it from one of my coworkers. <laughs> she said she was trying to hide it. She was trying to hide it and she was waiting for it to go down because our, our clearance always goes like 50, 75 and then it drops to $2. And she was, she was waiting for it to go to $2 and she thought she had hit it. And I guess somebody else found it and I was like, oh, hey, this is 75% off. I'm going to take it. Especially um, she get to poetry, huh? Um, yeah, well, you know, it's, it's pretty free form. I mean, watching oh, yeah. the movie has us talking about books and literature and poetry already. And to make a long story short, too late. We can just ramble and see what happens. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty open, so. Okay. Uh, uh, so, Dead Poet Society is basically uh, fall of 1959. Uh, one of the main characters, uh, Todd, begins his senior year at a all-male elite prep school called Welton. Mm-hmm. He and his gang of friends uh, sort of get together and they're doing the, the thing you do when you're getting ready to go to the Ivy League and uh, they get a new teacher. 
uh, new English teacher. I don't think it's just poetry. I think it's English in general. Uh, Robin Williams playing. Yeah, it's supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. Robin Williams playing <laughs> half Robin Williams, half the character. Uh, yeah. John Keating, who went to the school when he was younger. Um, uh, you, uh, you, you were a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've, I taught for the last 15 years and, uh, was it history and then decided not to teach. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I started off as history. Yeah. I started off as history and then, um, I had minored in English in college. And so I, um, went ahead and got my certification in English too. And then was able to kind of transition. So I've had years where I taught just social studies years where I taught just English. And I even had a year where I taught um, government and economics, um, English four, English two, theater and reading okay. all in one year. Um, so I've had a lot of different experience because um, my, my history, I majored in history, but my, my certification is what they call social studies composite. So you can teach all the histories, but also world geography, government, economics, journalism, probably, oh, uh, sociology and psychology I can teach. So supposedly, so. <laughs> Yeah, I did. I did actually teach them for a year. Um, it was pretty cool. But I, I had to admit to my students, I'm like, yeah, I'm not an expert on these things. We're just going to kind of learn together and uh, uh, and see what we can find out. But um, yeah, I've taught a lot of different things. And so um, in, in experience wise, this is it's always interesting to see like the first John Keating when he's introduced, and he comes into class the first time, like immediately in my brain says, oh, you're, you're doing it wrong. Right. Because on the first day of school, you, you, there's things to do. You got to do like establish norms and procedures, you know, expectations, go over the syllabus. You know, there's all this stuff <laughs> that I'm thinking like you need to be doing this stuff. Yeah. You have to, how, how are they going to know what the routines are? And he, you can kind of see that he, he walks into the school or in this room, right. And he whistles as he goes through and he walks all the way through and then leaves and everybody's sitting there going like, what do we do? And he's like, well, come on. Well, yeah, I know, but you didn't establish that as a routine. So in my head, I'm just like, this isn't (laughs) exactly how you do it. My mom's a teacher. Both my sisters are teachers. My step, at least Mm -hmm. one of my stepsisters is a teacher. A couple uncles, my grandma, my stepmom. I'm probably going to forget somebody, but there's, I like teachers and I always liked school. Um, but I, mm-hmm. I kind of thought that maybe since his MO was to break the norms and all that other shit, uh, that maybe he was seeing if the students just mindlessly got up to follow him? <laughs> or do you think he's being purposely oh, yeah. aloof? Well, I don't know. You know, it's, it's hard to, to say exactly what he's doing with that. And I think, too, with this, with this movie, what I find interesting and also frustrating is that you know, there's certain things that he does specifically and that the school does in general that as a as a teacher with with, you know, experience in the 21st century, you know, I'm looking at it and thinking, OK, what what in here is like, OK, you know, what is mid 20th century? Just that's just the way they used to do it. And so I kind of need to let that go a little bit. But then also, like, what do I think a person who is a teacher would want to get out of his students? I think he he does it to provide interest, I think. He wants to get them interested. And so that, I think, is positive. Because um, if, if you notice in the movie, of course, they do the montage first where you see all the different classes they're taking. And so they talk yeah. about, like, you know, here's the chemistry and the chemistry. I, I kind of like, the, actually, the chemistry teacher, I kind of liked what he was doing. He's like, uh, here is 
you know, you're going to come up with an experiment, you're going to do work, which I think is the, my, uh, it took me a long time to get to this point, but there was a point where I finally realized that in my classroom, I should be doing the least amount of work <laughs> and the students should be doing the most amount of work. And you've that's already a, done the work. a good classroom is, yeah, I did it already. Um, my job is to make sure that they can do it and to support them in it, but they should be doing the work because if, if I'm doing the work, then they're not doing anything, you know, and they're definitely not learning. Um, and so you kind of see that. I like the chemistry teacher, but then you, of course you see the Latin teacher um, doing the traditional Latin where you go through the conjugations or the inflections and everybody just says them out loud. And that's, they did it like in the 1100s, you know, in medieval church schools, they taught Latin through recitation. Um, and he's doing it exactly the same way. So there's definitely that like dichotomy between traditional and there's kind of like this middle road they don't really go into in the in the movie and then the the John Keating like I'm just going to do whatever. Um and I think that's the biggest problem I have with Keating as a teacher is I'm always like I get where you're going with some of it but then like your students don't know where you're going like when at the end of the, we're going to jump to the end of the movie and when Nolan comes in is like so what were y'all doing and the whole class is silent now part of it's because they're you know freaked out by the whole thing that's just happened but you know Cameron says oh well, we just kind of jumped around a bit like he doesn't know where they were going with it and they should know where they're going at the beginning of the class, you know, first day of class, where, what am I going to get out of this class? Where am I going with it? And, uh, and so I don't feel like Keating has a good curriculum, like an idea of where he's going and how he's building things one on top of the other. But also I would say that this movie is not about that either. So, um, there's different, you know, there's different teacher movies, um, that focus on, or school movies, I should say that focus, you know, some focus on the students and some focus on the teachers. And this one's mostly on the students. Um, as opposed to like a, uh, like a stand and deliver mm. or, or a freedom writers where you see like the teacher in their individual everyday life at home and the things that they're doing at home as well as what they're doing in the classroom. So, um, you know, like I say, I, this is my, my biggest fault of Keating is just, I feel like some of what he does is kind of like just out there without a purpose necessarily. Mm. He doesn't necessarily know what the purpose is. Um, except to get people excited, which that can backfire on you. As, um, yeah, as can happen, yeah. Um, but yeah, when he's introduced that first part, I, like I said, I, I like that he gets them out of the classroom. That I like, I think is really cool. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I, I can see why he does it that way. Just kind of whistle through the room and see what they do. Carpe diem. <laughs> So I get, he also stated that his purpose is to suck the marrow out of life. Yeah. But that's not in the syllabus. <laughs> it's in the secret syllabus. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, there's an interesting thing with this movie, um, the, the, the dichotomy between Keating and Nolan, you know, Nolan's just like, we just want to get them out and onto the Ivy league. Um, and he's definitely wrong, you know, about that. Um, in terms of like, 
you know, as a teacher, I think you should be trying to like instill in your students a love of learning. It should not just be a pass way on into something else. Um, and I think a lot because we, and, and I've seen teachers do this. We do this all the time where we're like trying to explain to kids, so why should you care about high school? And they're like, I don't care about this. And you're just like, well, just get through it and get to college or get to your job or whatever you want to do. And I think sometimes we do a disservice to our students by saying that. We should be saying, no, here's why this matters right now to you right now. You know, like, I would love to be teaching government right now. Um, because there's so much going on that illustrates principles established in the Constitution, you know, 300 years ago that you could be talking about right now and in the history of our country and where do we get, how do we get to here in the first place? Um, and then what do we do with it now that we're here? And that, that, that's a great time to be teaching and it's so relevant right now. And so, you know, Nolan's definitely wrong about that side of it. And Keating, I love that he's all about the relevance of this to you right now. Um, that what is art about? Um, it's about, it's why we live, you know, we, we do these other things to live and we, we have art, poetry, and literature and all that to is how we what we enjoy in life um, and so I definitely agree with that I think he's really cool about that part of it um, the other part of it that I think is kind of weird with Keating is he's very he's the lone teacher the lone wolf um, and this is like a trope um, in a lot of uh, teacher movies you know the teach this lone teacher again I mentioned stand and deliver and freedom riders it's the same sort of thing it's like the lone teacher by themselves doing the whole thing and that's just not the way that education works. Um, and you still see that trope now. Um, and at least in Keating's time in 1959, that was actually the way it was. Like people had this idea of I'm in my classroom and I'm in charge of my classroom mm. and I'm by myself. Uh, but well, that doesn't work that way anymore. Um, there's a lot more collaboration, a lot more talking about like, okay, so we have the student. So what do you see when you're in their classroom and when I'm in your classroom or, and all of that sort of stuff, which I think, I don't know. I'm just not, you know, my problem is not so much that Keating does it. So let me, I guess, back up on that a little bit. It's more that um, it sets up this idea of this teacher who's like the transformative teacher who's going to fix everybody. Um, at least he's not perfect with that. But at the same time, I know for a lot of teachers, we see movies like this and we're like, I can't be that person all the time. <laughs> the only thing you respect is stupidity. You willing to die for stupidity, Cesar? See, I am, if it'll teach you something. Everything I've ever wanted has been taken from me. And no matter how many of you I get rid of, I can't get it back. I was a teacher! I wanted to help you! You can't kill me! And you can't scare me! Come on, Cesar, if you're gonna be stupid, don't be half-ass stupid, be all the way stupid. Class sizes. You know, I can't be... <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, uh, one of our schools in the area, in the district I used to teach at, at one point, like at the beginning of the year, they're putting like 50 kids, 50 ninth graders into a world geography class, and then wondering why are we having discipline problems. It's like, well, there's a reason why, as opposed to the school I was at, where we tried to keep our class sizes to about 17, and and it's like a big difference. And like, well, so why is it so different? You're, you must be taking all the best students. And we're like, no, our students are like middle of the road. Um, we just created a better environment for them. And, you know, when the uh, Texas just shifted to a different rating system for its schools where they're grading us like A plus and 
B and C, D, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, the school I used to teach at got an A+, and the other schools in the district got an F. And it's like, there's a reason why, you know, part of it is class sizes. I think you cut That's out. Can you hear okay, me? Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Yeah, I can hear you fine. Okay, great. Yeah, there was a weird, um, like, sounded like somebody was doing a remix, and then it went silent for a second. But Get on with it. Yes, get on with it! <laughs> but yeah, so I don't know, like this, 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 the, the, the idea of the, of the teacher having to do all of this like performance for his students, that part of it is very tiring, um, to me anyways, as a teacher. Um, and I feel like that's a lot, there's some books that come out every now and then uh, there was one that came out that was really popular called teach like your hair's on fire. And I'm like, okay, dude, like not everybody's going to be that person. Extreme. No. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> or I saw another one that is one of our one of our school districts has an order for them because they're in their, the back of our warehouse, and it's like teach like a pirate, and I'm like, I don't even know what this means. <laughs> uh, the metaphor, <laughs> the metaphors are getting weird now. <laughs> I don't know what to do, but yeah. So that's that's my yeah. I don't I don't have no clue, and I haven't read the book, and I probably won't. I'm just like I, I there's a yeah there's a lot of the emphasis is always on the teachers. Um, like an individual teacher and it's true that the individual teacher does the most for the student um, there's been some studies that have done that they've done that show like uh, success in school is mostly a matter of the, the, the student's home life um, the school itself only controls about 20% of a student's success in school so most of it's at home and so then we take that 20% and most of that's the teacher in the classroom so that's true that the teacher is very very important but you know, the one teacher trying to do it just doesn't work. You've got to have a whole system to make it effective. And I will say this movie at least kind of shows you that a little bit. You know, it's like Keating tries to do it by himself. He never collaborates with anybody. He never talks to other people about what he's doing. The other faculty are confused. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the one who's kind of supportive of him, the Latin teacher, is, uh, is kind of like, um, I didn't know what was going on in your classroom. I didn't even realize you were here at the very beginning when they're tearing the, the book apart. And... Uh, the words of Mr. Pritchard. And then at the end, he, yeah. And then he, uh, the Latin teacher waves at him, you know, at the end when he's like, yeah, I know you're gone, but you were pretty cool, I guess. And, but they never talk to each other about stuff. And it's like, maybe y'all should have been talking to each other about what you wanted from your students this whole time. <laughs> um, instead of just like doing whatever and then it all blowing up, uh, in your face a bit. So, yeah. Very, yeah. pretty pretty, yeah that blew up pretty much everyone's face to various Mm -hmm. degrees of burn um yeah uh, so yeah he gets them into well they they leave they leave the in the introductory phase of getting Mm -hmm. to know each other some of them are intrigued others are nervous about rocking the boat um yeah yeah they do very <laughs> i love it when the guy takes the yeah yeah when they're when they're ripping the pages out and then one guy uh has the ruler and he very carefully tears the page out of the book i just i love that scene <laughs> uh, that part of it that little bit that little note it's very 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 <laughs> you know, very measured and it literally measured because it's a ruler it's it, a... was that cameron that did that yes okay yeah. I well, he was. I get, I get Cameron and Meeks confused, to be honest. But I think it was Cameron. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because he's the last person. 
Yep, last person, and I think they're both they're both redheads. Yeah, <laughs> and cautious people. Yeah, yes, yeah, very much so, but in different ways, but very interesting. Um, that's one thing I love about this movie. I think the characters are interesting, um, and they, they, but they don't go out of their way to like give you a ton of exposition. Mm. Like, let me explain about my family life to you. <laughs> Um, yeah, in they, they the first time minutes. I ever meet you, like, yeah, like Neil, you never realize that until pretty far in that you, you get hints of it, but you don't really realize that Neil's family is, um, less well off than the other families sending their kids to school. Yeah. Uh, um, I think Char- uh, until neither, Charlie's neither, I don't think, or who's on the academic scholarship. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. No. I think that's Ethan Hawk, whoever Ethan Hawk is. He was on the yes, academic uh, scholarship. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and uh, his brother had been valedictorian. Yeah. And Neil was also, I mean, his his dad. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Please go ahead. No, you're good. <laughs> you're good. Um, yeah, his dad, uh, Kurtwood Smith. <laughs> just give me my fucking phone call. He just he does mm-hmm. act like they they don't have uh as much money as the rest of everybody. You burned the fucking money! I had to blow the door, what do you want? It's as good as Mark, you asshole, you stupid, stupid asshole! Uh, you know, he's pushing him so hard. Can you fly, Bobby? And he's so focused on... I, I, I mean, I guess he could just be a dick to be a dick, but... It seems like he's pushing him to get the grades and only worry about getting the grades so he could get into Harvard and he can become a doctor so he can be more successful than mm-hmm. him and they can't afford to send him to Harvard. Yeah, yeah. I definitely got that impression. That this is all about, you know, I put this work into you. You need to work hard now and prove me right um, and justify me, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's he's definitely... it's it's. Uh, it's such a hard character to... You definitely don't like him. Cops don't like me. So I don't like cops. Like, he's... <laughs> I, and as a person who loves theater and extracurricular activities and stuff like that, I'm like, I don't... Obviously, I don't like him. Um, <laughs> but then at the end, man, I just... I feel so strongly for him. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, he's a, he's, I like that he's, a, he's not just a stereotypical mean father. Bang, bang! <laughs> Not really, you know. There's yeah, he more loves going on Neil. there that you you get later. Yeah, yeah, he loves Neil, no matter how shittily he treats him, and you know he's yeah, but he just doesn't know how to treat his kid, and he thinks more about himself than he thinks about yeah. his kid. Right. Yeah, very much about about the family. You know, doing right for the family, not so much about the individual kid, what you know, or the individual what they like. Yeah. yeah. What they even want to do, like and that idea, right? You know, this idea of this, the, so, so many kids enter high school with their parents basically kind of pushing them to do a thing, and you ask the kid, like, so why do you want to do this? And like, I don't know, <laughs> make money. And I'm like, so what are you gonna do? Like, we've had students who are like, yeah, I really want to be an engineer. I hate math though. <laughs> and you're like, I don't think this is gonna work. This isn't gonna work for you, sir. <laughs> then you mean a train engineer? You want to get a hat? And... I mean, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> <Do-do-do>. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a coffee engineer, or a, a burger engineer, but yeah, uh, 
I don't know. It's like, that's so hard to say to people. It's like, I don't think this is a thing for you, but you do need to find it. You have to figure out what that is. And, um, it's just so it's, it's true for all of these students. You know, they talk about oh, future lawyer, future, um, I forgot the other kid he mentioned. Um, but they all have these family expectations on them about what they're going to do when they grow up that's outside of what they want to do. Um, it's just Neil's the one we get to see the most of. Yeah. With that. Which is, I mean, Robert Sean Leonard, great performance in this movie. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I, like you said, all the, all the kids were really good, but as, as he showed, he was a good puck. Even I've, I've seen a lot of uh, Shakespeare performances cause there's a good Shakespeare in the park here in Columbus. Mm-hmm. And I was, a I switched from journalism to English major and creative writing. And I took, I think all the Shakespeare mm-hmm. classes my uh, college had. So, uh, yeah, I thought he was, he did a good job as puck. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I liked, I, I really dug that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, um, the play, uh, I'm immediately, uh, one of the things we do in Texas that is, I guess, kind of unique to Texas is we have a big one act play festival. Um, that is, so basically all the schools, it's kind of complicated because we have this weird thing called the university interscholastic league that's actually run through the Texas, uh, university of Texas. And it kind of, it, 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 it's what's over all of the sports and all the academic competitions. And, so all of our schools are divided up, you know, in by size into, you know, uh, I think now they have six A schools, but it goes from one A to six, and based on size, and then, you know, you compete inside of your your conference or whatever it's called, and then there's different competitions. One of those is one act play. So we actually do like a lot of schools that wouldn't normally have any th- any theater program at all, uh, will participate in one act play, and it gives them an opportunity to to get that background. I taught at a school both my wife and I taught at schools that were rivals to each other, uh, that were these little tiny one, a schools. So it was like, a uh, 120 kids K through 12. All of uh, that in the in middle the- of rural Texas. Wow. Yeah. The whole school K through 12 is 120 kids. Uh, we graduated my school. We graduated, uh, five students the first year I was there. And the second year I was there, we graduated seven. So that's the whole senior class. Um, and, we uh we would do this play we would do the plays and so seeing you know them doing the play um like they have you know I love the the kind of the uh, very basic fair outfit um which uh, nowadays would be even even at a high school level would probably be uh would show a lot more skin um, <laughs> but they have this those, those you know those you know because of the way the fairies are Tinkerbell and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have the, you know, those gray jumpsuit kind of things. And then the, uh, uh, and so I love seeing that part of it. And then he does, he's so good as, uh, even as Puck in a little bit of, you get to see from him. Um, and Midsummer is an, is an interesting, is an interesting play. Uh, I wish if I'd had more time to think about it, I'm wondering what connections Midsummer's has to this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't, I didn't, I haven't formulated an actual theory for that yet. It's very romantic, I guess is the main thing. It fits. Yeah. Um, Keating's is very Keating is all about the romantics, um, which I have problems with too. You know, he mentioned they mentioned at the end they they he, they did they skipped the realists, and I was like, well, the realists are really good. <laughs> Just because they're realists doesn't mean it's wrong. But yeah, like uh, his uh, Robert Sean Leonard's performance is so good, and 
And this is definitely one of those movies I was, you know, I'm brought to tears, even as I'm trying to be critical about it. You know, I am, I'm brought to tears multiple times in this movie. Um, and, uh, I still, I still tear up at captain, my captain, anytime that's mm. said in the movie, I'm like, Oh, captain, my captain, which is weird that I, I now associate that more with Robin Williams than I do with, uh, Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> no. Well, you know, <laughs> Robin Williams died most recently. True, true. I wasn't and, around you know, for Lincoln to die. So. Yeah, and I think uh, that was used by every other newspaper in their obituaries for him, I think, when Robin mm-hmm. Williams died. They all started out with, oh, Captain, my Captain. So they do a bunch of weird exercises in independent, <laughs> led, led exercises in individuality, mm-hmm. which are close to being an oxymoron. But what? <laughs> there's the jumping off the desk. There's the create your own cool walk. Uh, yeah. Reading poetry. Which and... I've done that before. Yeah. How'd that go? <laughs> yeah. A lot of those are things. Well, you know, a lot of these are things that we do um, to get people kind of. I've done that more in theater, to be honest, with the walk, especially the walk one, um, where we would just walk around and be like, okay, try and be this sort of character and try and get into that skin. But I think a lot of, uh, my, one of my favorite things to do teaching English is really, especially with writing is observation. And I wish we had a little bit more of that. Um, standing on the desk is part of it, but like really observing the world around you and looking at things and, and thinking about all the connections you can see between things that are unlike, um, that's all really important for writers. That's what good creative writers do is make connections to between things um, that we wouldn't necessarily automatically see. And so I, I, I kind of appreciate that sort of thing. Um, for English, one of the weird things you do with walking is you teach, it's a good way to teach iambic, iambic pentameter when you're going to read Shakespeare. Okay. And you do the da-da, 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 and you have people walk it out um, while they're reciting the lines. You know, uh, you can do... Uh, that would have helped me. You know, lot. pretty much anything. Yeah, it's a really cool. When I uh, when I was teaching world geography at the school that I uh, last taught at, was the first my first job there was world geography for a year, and because they, I'd already hired, hired an English teacher, and I would hear the people clump, uh, clomping up and down the walkway, um, reciting Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of appreciate that part of it. You know, there's a good there's a good bodily what they call the bodily kinesthetic connection. You know, to to what you're learning. Mm-hmm. Um, most people there's this there's a theory. Of multiple intelligences it's kind of gotten misapplied people think about it as like oh I learned just this one way and that's not true you learn all sorts of ways but we do have uh, preferences and most people have a some sort of bodily kinesthetic preference like like they they like to be able to if you're doing a thing a movement and then learning a thing at the same time that's connected that really helps people learn stuff in theater. It's about, you know, it's harder to learn lines when you're just reading them off the page, but when you're moving, like doing the blocking in the show, you start to memorize the lines faster. So it's really good for a lot of different things. And so I get the kind of the bodily kinesthetic stuff, like getting the kids out there and kicking the soccer ball and being loud about yeah. it, you know, sounds uh, like you're daunting. I, I do get those. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I do. Yeah. I think, I think those are really cool. Uh, ways to get people up and out of the classroom and, and interested. You, know, you have to be careful, though, because this is something that I ran into as a problem with teaching is that if you're just kind of picking things out of thin air without really understanding why you're doing them, um, 
it's really you can do a lot of really cool stuff, but if you don't know how it all fits together, it can be just a bunch of cool stuff. Mm. You know, not a cohesive message, right? Um, yeah, the, the, a lot of the exercises around me. Uh, I have my limited uh, experience in uh, in one of my theater classes. Uh, we went in depth on how to put on a play and everything, and I was in a couple plays when I was a kid, and. They were always trying to get me to be in plays in high school, especially whenever they did Grease, because I had I didn't have the mohawk yet. I just had big spiky hair that could get turned into a yeah a pompadour <laughs> or something like that, pretty easy. And I had a leather jacket. Yeah, I was I was in the choir until graduation and all that stuff. They're like, well, why don't you do it? I was like, well, because I'm I'm in a band and I do drugs and I just don't have the time. <laughs> 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 yeah, my my biggest problem with theater, my biggest problem with theater was just I have a I'm a I have a lot of anxiety and I've had stage fright my entire life. Um, and actually, teaching is what got me over that uh, because I had to be on stage every day, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and so you kind of have to get to a point. Now it's it's still like it's still kind of terrifying. Um, like I had to explain that to the kids. It's like I am pretty terrified every time I get up in front of the classroom, which is on a multiple multiple times a day. Um, I have to do this. And so it is always performance like in, in that sense. Um, but the, uh, I never did much with theater, um, until, you know, after I was married really. And then, uh, Jen and I were in at this little tiny community theater when we were up in, uh, Lubbock. My wife was getting her master's at Texas tech. Uh, and there was this community theater about 45 minutes away and we did the crucible and, uh, uh they needed, they needed extra guys cause, most theaters are short on guys, which mm-hmm. is probably why, you know, again, you're always getting asked to be in the theater <laughs> because they need guys. <laughs> There's always girls. There's tons of girls who want to be in theater. Uh, guys are harder to get. And uh, they were like, well, we need men. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And I, saw, I had the, the, the part of uh, Thomas Putnam, uh, the really mean, oh. jerky guy in The Crucible. Uh, he's played by... Uh, Oh, what's the guy? The guy who's in the, uh, he was in Mom and Dad Save the Planet. Um, oh, uh, uh, oh, fuck! The guy, the principal from uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. Uh, the, the, yeah. Goddamn! What is his name? <laughs> uh, I've got I've, I've got other people's names in my head. I've got Jeffrey Rush, and I know that's not right. I've got <laughs> Jeff Johns, and that's not right. Is it Joffrey Jones or Jeffrey Jones? Jeffrey Jones, I think that sounds right. Um, and he got in trouble several years ago for something. Um, yeah. But anyway, so yeah, so I so yeah, I got to play him, and my wife played. Uh, she was Elizabeth, the main female lead. So we were never on stage the entire time um, together. Um, but uh, that was my only my big theater experience besides directing was that one. Yeah, theater's theater's pretty neat. Yeah, I oh, think when we uh, just uh, before we get off uh, the Crucible, I think when we did a read through of that in school, I was Giles Corey. Mm-hmm. Is that the right story? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's cool. Corey's oh, cool. Wait, he's the one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fuck you. <sighs> yeah. That scene, man. Uh, they, they did that pretty well good, in good. the, the TV show Salem. I, mm-hmm. think, I think it was Salem. I haven't seen that. Oh, okay. It, it's roughly around, I mean, it's about the witch trials and everything, but there's, yeah, there's a Giles right. Corey character and other characters from the crucible 
and it was pretty cool. I kind of lost the time to keep up with it, mm-hmm. with, you know, American Gods and yeah. stuff like that <laughs> um, out and all the movies for the show. Yeah. Yeah. I st- we still haven't watched American Gods and that's like one of my favorite books. Um, and we're still behind on that. And what else is uh, Doctor Who is my other big, one of my big things. And I haven't watched the new season at all. And I feel bad about that too. Uh, <laughs> Who was your first doctor? Uh, Tom Baker. Oh, was my first. Um, nice. I watched him on PBS in the eighties. Um, he was, they were, of course they were reruns at that point. Yeah. They were on one but, of the uh, breaks. He was my first. Yeah, I got yeah. into it late. My dad was really into it from his childhood, you know, in the 50s and 60s. Uh, but I didn't really start paying attention to it until uh, David Tennant actually was my official yeah. first doctor. And then I, you know, I went backwards because mm-hmm. my wife had or has almost all of them on DVD or whatever's available on DVD because... Uh, she used to date Red. somebody that worked at half price books and he would snag all the best stuff, <laughs> you know, as soon as it came in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love that show. Yeah. My wife is, my wife is a big David Tennant fan and that's part of the reason why she's had trouble getting into the, uh, the more recent ones. It's just, she's Peter Capaldi's just not quite what she wants from the doctor. Mm-hmm. And she's, Pretty much, I mean, if David Tennant showed up on the doorstep, she'd run away with him, and that would be it. So. <laughs> I mean, he's pretty dreamy, I have to say. It's yeah, that's true. Running around in his Chuck Taylors, being oh. all Scottish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we've, uh, speaking of Shakespeare, by the way, we, we saw him do Richard II um, at Alamo Draft House. Ooh. And, uh, they did like a they did a live performance or you know uh, broadcast and uh, they re they rebroadcast it later and it was pretty rad. He's it was a good play. What do you think cool. about uh, the whole New York Julius Caesar uh, thing that's going on right now? Do you know much about the hoopla? I know enough about it like to know that okay, so right the basically they made like Trump uh, a Trump like Julius Caesar. Yeah, like and they like they did with people got mad about it. All the way back to I the I think <laughs> I I think that none of our politicians I'm trying to think of who would actually fit and I don't know of any person who's been president who would fit as Julius C- as an actual Julius Caesar analog. And so I feel like it's almost like a a bad it's kind of like a like a like a bad idea to me. Mhm. Um you know what I mean? It's just like like Trump is definitely not Julius Caesar. Like, don't give him that. He, don't give him that credit. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, gosh, he, if if if, if, if <laughs> yeah, if Trump had been Julius Caesar, if, you know, if Trump were in Julius Caesar's position, he'd have been like knocked. You know, he'd been killed in the first Gallic War they had, or whatever, and that would have been it. <laughs> you know, it would have been it would have been a disaster, and you know, <laughs> that would have yeah. been the end of it. Um, yeah, to think that he would be Julius Caesar. I think that's yeah, too much credit. I get the idea of, of murdering Julius Caesar, I guess, but um, yeah. I, just I don't feel know. Like yeah. Everybody, I feel like uh, productions of the play have been replacing it with modern politicians forever. So it definitely hasn't really yeah. fit and it fits better or worse other times. And, you know, sometimes it's just a fail. I guess uh, a production of it got 
interrupted today or yesterday by a pro-Trump supporter, apparently. I don't know. So (laughs) people are just going to take turns interrupting performances until nobody wants to do anything anymore (laughs) or something like that. Yeah. I'm not sure. Sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that, that, that sounds about right. I I get to the, I'm kind of stuck in the middle of all of this politically because I'm more conservative um, in the traditional sense of the word conservative. Um, Just in the fact that I'm like, I'm just skeptical of a lot of things, mm-hmm. um, especially progress. So like the concept of progress being so great, I'm always like, well, yeah, well, it's great when it's great and then it's terrible when it's terrible. And so I kind of fit that more of that skeptical mode, I think that I see in traditional conservatism. But on the other hand, it's like, it's just, you just can't, I don't know, definitely not Trump and not a lot of people who are called conservative quote-unquote conservatives yeah um, i call those that's a hard thing regressives i i think there's a there's definitely a yeah. place for conservatism but it's being hijacked much like a lot of people have taken over christianity uh which christianity's right. religion organized i grew up catholic catholic school organized mm-hmm. religion isn't for me but i have noticed that sure you know the crazy i hate everybody thing isn't christian that's just religion no. used to mask your hate. Um, yeah, like it's politics. like they had back in the. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, back in I know back in uh, Britain, um, they had uh, the whole British Israelism movement, which was the you know these uh, neo Nazis um, who decided that oh yeah, uh, Great Britain was really the was really Israel. The British people were really the Israelites, and the the Jews were fake Israelites, and that was their way of explaining their hatred of people. And it's just like, and they, and they were like, "Oh, that how they were so Christian." And I'm like, "I don't. What do you mean? <laughs> it just makes no sense at all to me." And it is, you know, that, that's and that, you know, we David and I get into this a good bit on the podcast where because I'm I'm a Christian and um and and David's agnostic, and we both grew up in evangelical churches. I guess if you we didn't call it that when I was a kid, uh, but it was just were, I guess charismatic would be the word, right word. Yeah, it was just church, non-denominational uh, churches, not connected to any sort of thing like that. Um, you know, we had the quote-unquote rock band, you know, for worship and, uh, you know, stuff like that. It was just, to me, it was just normal church. So when, you know, I see Catholics, I was always a bit like, this is weird to me, the whole <laughs> liturgy. and the... Kneel, stand, sit. It's like I find, you know, it's, it's really hard because I'm like, yeah, those a lot of these people are really terrible people who call themselves Christians. And then but then on the other hand, when somebody like really criticizes something about Christianity, my brain goes, but but wait, let me explain. Uh, and so I find myself often on Facebook, like hovering over the keyboard, like I want to say a thing, but I probably just it probably sh- shouldn't just go on with it. It's fine. Whatever. Um, I do a lot of I do a lot of typing and then deleting on different people's <laughs> posts and it's very frustrating, <laughs> you know, because 
there's no winning, right? I'm not going to win on Facebook. Like nobody wins Facebook. I feel like the only progress that, well, I mean, there there's people that are close, it, but it's not going to be the only thing that does something. You know, it's going to be a bunch of different aspects in people's right. lives. But especially a back and forth between strangers, nothing's going to happen. Nobody's going to budge. Oh, no, no. It's just going to be a shouting match. You know, if it's somebody that you've talked to a decent amount of times, you can carry on an ongoing mm-hmm. dialogue or whatever. But yeah, just the, hey, random stranger, fuck your ideas. I was like, no, fuck your ideas. <laughs> block, block. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of like uh, this there's a cartoon that I've seen where it's like this guy's walking down the street and he finds a sign that says A or whatever. And he picks it up. And there's another guy who shows up and he's got a sign that says B and he's like, fuck you. And that's like, <laughs> like we, we we're so quick to pick up uh, a side and then defend that side. Um, and people are, we're, we're naturally kind of tribalistic, you know, that's kind of how we are. And yeah. so my tribe, it's all about self identity. And if you attack my identity, it doesn't actually help me change my mind. Right? Like it, if you come at me like, Oh, uh, you know, that's why I, ha- I know I have this visceral reaction when somebody says, um, you know, Republicans are just racist because I used to consider myself a Republican. And so I, I would be like, oh, wait, but no, but let me explain. <laughs> you know, and, but my, and my first thought is like negative about that. And I realized that they're not really talking about me when they say that, you know, that's, that's another thing too, the personalization of it all. Um, you know, they're not, it's not about me when they say that it's not about me. If you, if you, if you, if you say you don't like something about Christianity, that's not really about me, but my internalization of that as an identity makes it about me to, to me, you know, the same thing if I turn around and call, you know, but you know, communist or whatever, not that I do that, but you know, unless they're actually communists, um, <laughs> like actual communism. And, uh, cause we need to, we need to pick back up what those things are. Cause people are like, if I don't like you, you're either a communist or a Nazi. And I'm like, Ugh. and sometimes they're both. And I'm like, those that doesn't work that way. Um, but yeah, the, you know, if I just call something communism or whatever, uh, what, what people used to say, um, they probably still say a uh, libtard. I've heard yeah, before. I heard libtard. Cuck, um, cuck is the big you know, one now. Oh God. I'm take that back. I'm a cuck flake. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right. And I just, I find that that's a whole other thing. Cause that, that relates to, you know, with Dead Poet Society too. Cause I know primarily about cuckoldry from Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that was a common, that was a common phrase to talk about. Uh, even one of my favorite plays is uh, Much Ado About Nothing. And uh, Beatrice in that play, she talks about, um, <laughs> you know, if she, is she going to go to heaven or go to hell? And uh, she, she, she goes up to heaven and, they're like, oh, go away, Beatrice, go away. And so she goes, so off she goes down to the devil, and and she says, there's the devil, like a cuckold with horns in his head, you know, like those sorts of things. That's the, the traditional image of the cuckold. Um, it's just a different sort of thing for me. If you read Chaucer, it's the same way. It's like there's that image of the horn and the he- horns in the head kind of thing mm, well, from the old cuckolds. But And in The Miller's Wife. There's some cuckoldry, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Was, that, was that the, the one? Oh, yeah. I mean, they... they... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love the... It... By the way, if you think about, like, uh, when people talk about medieval ideas and stuff like that, I'm always like, have y'all read Chaucer? Because he's, he's really racy. 
Like, it's just like this one guy was like up. Where was it? I want to say he was like up in a tree and having sex with the with the with the guy's wife while he's. I mean, it's just weird things like that. Like that happened like, all the time. And those, they were not shy about oh. it about sex back then. So it's a, it's a completely different situation now where people are so pr- where you know people got prudish or whatever about it, and which is a whole other thing. But um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you do see a bit here, though. I was, you know, it's like when, uh, uh, the, of course, the concept of an all-boys school, you know, is kind of tied into that. Separate the sexes, you know. And there, and there have been times as a teacher where I've been like, if we could just have just all boys or all girls, you know, maybe that would solve half my problems. Um, of course, that's not true, but you think that sometimes when most of your day is going around saying. Don't touch each other. Don't stop kissing in the hallway. Keep your hands where they're supposed to be. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But God, I got so I got so tired of having to tell teenagers to quit touching each other. It's just like just and it doesn't even in a non-romantic way. Just just being on people, you know, or uh, uh, hitting, you know, guys getting rough housing or whatever stuff like that. I just was like, just I get so tired of that. Just. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't want to. When I thought about being a teacher, I wanted to teach high mm-hmm. school or college, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I would want to have that sort of responsibility to try to. Because I remember, I mean, how I was in high school. I wasn't, I mean, yeah. I did a lot of stuff that I could have gotten trouble for, I guess, in different right. ways. Um, but I rarely got in trouble, and I never really acted up in class. Uh, I don't think my... It doesn't matter. I'm too old to worry about what my parents know that I've done. But, you know, I, t- <laughs> <laughs> I used to take a water bottle full of screwdrivers to school, or, mm-hmm. you know, we had open lunch, so yeah. we would go to a friend's house and get stoned and come back. But, you know, I set up my schedule to reflect that so most of the time because i could have graduated mm-hmm. early if i tried because i took a lot of classes and stuff and got very good grades yeah. but after lunch when i went back to school it was almost always study hall music and art classes but <laughs> yeah i wouldn't want to have to watch after a bunch of kids in the school and have to be like no stop don't touch don't touch don't touch stop that yeah yeah that was the of all the things that i had to deal with that was like the anytime there were was unsupervised time that was like my or i say an unstructured time not unsupervised but unstructured time that was like my least favorite thing like that would just that would that killed my soul (laughs) (laughs) but they tried to control and and i had a different experience Hmm? yeah i had a different experience with school because i was homeschooled in high school okay um, you know, I, I went to public school all the way through middle school and my, uh, uh, David and I, our, our older brother who's also named David. So, uh, my older brother, David, he, um, had, had a bit of a problem in school. He had a lot of problems with authority and, uh, and stuff like that. And he, my mom and dad pulled him out to homeschool him. Uh, and they, they asked us, they're like, hey, do you want to be homeschooled? And I was like, yes, uh, I want to get out of here. <laughs> um, because that was my problem. Like, I was the opposite. I was like, I just didn't like, I didn't like most teenagers when I was a teenager. I probably like teenagers more now, and I, I can't stand them now. So, um, but <laughs> at the time, I was like, I just don't like it. I don't want to do it with any of these people. And so I would, I did homeschooling, and 
I was like perfectly happy to learn on my own and, um, you know, write papers and read, you know, I did stuff like read middle English literature and crap like that. Um, we did science and dissection and, uh, I did music at church. And so that was my music classes and, you know, we did all that. So I kind of got out. I didn't have that experience of the high school, like the going to lunch and the people hanging out underneath bleachers and, and all of that. Or, or like when they go to the party, you know, he goes to that party, uh, knocks, uh, goes to the party of the Danbury's and there's like people like making out everywhere. <laughs> like I never had that experience. I don't know what that's like. I'm just like, I think I would be like terribly embarrassed to be like, I need to leave. (laughs) (laughs) You guys need some privacy. Um, Yeah. I know. Like the concept of making out in a public space, I don't get. Like I really don't. Um, (laughs) Well, you know, in the 50s, I guess, and sometimes now, but in the 50s, I'm sure it was catch as catch can. Nobody's looking. Yeah. I think like, like when, yeah, when students, we would have students every now and then you'd you'd catch somebody behind the building because the school I taught at for the first five years we were open was at a, was in portable building. Um, and so we had this big, cam- you know, we had this lo- kind of long campus with all these buildings. So there's lots of places to hide, you know, mm-hmm. and every now and then you'd catch somebody. And I just like, I was like, I just can't imagine like the only place I can get, the only place I can make out <laughs> is in the middle of like just outside because I can't go home and do it because that's not going to happen. Uh, you know, parents don't like, you know, oh, my parents don't like my boyfriend or don't like my girlfriend. And, um, and that sort of thing. And so I was just like, I just can't relate to that at all. Because, <laughs> you know, I just, I'm, 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 I'm kind of lost on that one. Um, you know, my wife and I got together pretty late and she's my only girlfriend. So um, I was like, well, we just go over. We were adults, you know, at that point. And it was like, we just go over to our, go home. And you can make out all you want. Not worry about it. But uh, yeah, I just, I, I do. I, <laughs> Knox sitting there uh, with all those people making out around him. I kind of, I was like, yeah, I kind of get that why that's uncomfortable. So. Yeah. I've been to a few. Make but, yeah, I never, I never did the whole, okay. <laughs> Usually I wasn't making out with anybody, yeah, but sometimes. Right. I've, yeah. I mean, like I said, I mean, I, I think it's a teenager thing where you're like, this is the place where we can do the thing. And because normally you're under some sort of, some sort of supervision. So I guess I get that part of it. But so. Knox gets <laughs> shit faced drinking with the guys. Oh God. Who yeah. Think they know his brother. Mutt. Who doesn't exist? The mutt. <laughs> to the mighty mutt. You're his brother? No relation. Never heard of him. Sorry. Guys. Where's your man? Is he there? Mutt's there? His brother? We don't oh, even offer him a drink. Here you go. Have some whiskey. Now, yeah. Sorry. I don't really drink. To mutt. To mutt. To mutt. Now, how the hell is old Mud anyway? Yeah, hey, what's old Mud been up to, huh? Yeah, I don't really know Mud. <sighs> to the mighty Mud. To mighty Mud. To mighty Mud. I know. Freaking I did think that was a great little bit of comedy. <laughs> yeah, that great little bit of com- that comedy right there. This that he's trying to explain. I don't know him. He's like, oh man, just how is he? Is he doing all right? <laughs> You're like, I-, I just told you, I don't know him. <laughs> Oh, well, Tumut. It's like Tumut. Yeah. I wonder if they ripped that scene Um, off for Superbad. Have you seen Superbad? I don't. I haven't seen Superbad. So, oh, no. There's a part where, uh, in their quest to get alcohol, they get Mm -hmm. taken to a party, and the Michael Sarah character goes into a room to use a phone. Yeah. And a bunch of people come in, and they're like, "Oh, are you so and so's brother?" He's like, "No." (laughs) 
<laughs> and they're like, yeah, you look just like him. And he's like, yeah, 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 I am. And then they're just hanging out and talking and with a bunch of older, older people doing, uh, I don't think they're drinking. I think they're doing another drug, yeah. but it's been so long since I've seen it. But I was like, I wonder if that, mm-hmm. that played into it. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I can see that. The whole mistaken identity thing. Um, yeah. I guess I that's probably else. older than older than both these movies, yeah. but uh, but yeah, Knox is pining for with... Chris, right? <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. I, oh man. Leading right into what you were gonna say. Continue, please. Yeah, just Knox and his pining for Chris. Um, I just I kind of appreciate that to a certain extent. I had that that high school crushes on people. Um, you know, often, you know, I, we get, we get pretty close, you know, in terms of like, I had one girl who I didn't find out until after she'd left and, and somebody was like, yeah, she really liked you. And I was like, why didn't anybody tell me this? Like <laughs> a long time ago, um, they didn't tell me till after she'd already left and wasn't going to be around anymore. Um, but I would have, you know, have that crush on somebody and you're like pining over it. You're just like, Oh, I just want to like express all of my feelings and I can't. You know, uh, I, pre- I appreciate that Knox takes a step out. That's one thing about, you know, the Keating's influence that you see that's kind of positive is is Knox taking the taking the step. I mean, yeah, kissing the girl while she's like asleep is a little bit, you know, a little rapey. Maybe you shouldn't do that. Yeah. A little rapish. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wouldn't do that. But um, <clears throat> you know, at least he takes school. a step out and says, yeah, that's OK. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, uh, yeah. As long as she doesn't get too embarrassed, I mean that's your own ill will. But uh, there's nothing really wrong in romantic gestures like that when everybody's awake. No, no, I kind of, I kind of like that whole like I'm gonna, I'm gonna be. I don't care if these people are standing around in this classroom. I'm gonna read you this poem I wrote to you because that's what I, that's what that's season the day, right? Yep. Uh, Carpe that diem, so, Todd. You know, Todd, that's has another a good thing, by the way. Oh yeah, Todd. Man, I, I really do relate to Todd a lot. Um, Again, that anxiety um, of performance, you know, having to talk in front of people. That's something I lived with for so long. It was just like, terrible. And it's still kind of there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, As a podcaster. But, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I keep putting myself in these positions where I have to talk for things. And it's just like, uh, so, like, even right now, my job is to talk to people <laughs> while they're in a bookstore about books. And I'm just like, I, I get so overwhelmed sometimes um, being an introvert. Do you hold the books uh, I get like exhausted. A you get exhausted. No, no, but I do get it. I do get so tired. I get like physically just exhausted, um, which is the way it was teaching too. It's like you're around people all the time and then they want you to like then do stuff after school with the kids or do stuff on the weekend with the kids or go here with the kids. And I'm like, I just, I just need time by myself. Like, uh, gotta recharge. Um, I need to be by my, yeah, I got to recharge guys. Uh, I love you. But right now I need you to leave me alone. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Todd and his, the anxiety he has, uh, about getting up and reading. Um, I totally relate to that, but I love, you know, I always had a friend who was for a long time. I always had a friend who was kind of like, uh, like Neil in the sense that he would try and include me and stuff. Okay. Um, cool. so, uh, you know, I wouldn't be the person like who stood out to everybody, but I'd have a friend like, uh, in elementary school, especially I had a couple different friends in different places who was like, they were really popular and people really liked them a lot, but I was always kind of like, well, I don't want to talk to people very much. And they would like bring me around with them. <laughs> so I, got, I, I made friends 
kind of through them in that sense. Um, and that happened in, in college too. I had friends who, like, I would have been in my dorm by myself for four years if I had just been on my own. Uh, but I had people who, like, befriended me and said, hey, you want to go with us to a place? And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go. You know, I'll do that thing. But the whole making friends just automatically just couldn't do it. Like, I don't know. Yeah, Todd is great. Um, and I did tear up. The, the scene where he where he starts reciting, that finally recites the poetry, off, just off the top of his head as he's creating it, mm-hmm. that Sweaty part I teared up. madman stuff? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that, that, that is such a great scene. Now, for those of you who don't know, a yelp is a loud cry or yell. Now, Todd, I would like you to give us a demonstration of a barbaric yelp. <laughs> Come on, you can't yawp sitting down. Let's go. Come on, up. Gotta get in yawping stance. Uh, a yawp. No, not just a yawp. A barbaric yawp. Yawp. Come on, louder. Yawp. Oh, that's a mouse. Come on, louder. Yawp. Oh, good God, go yell like that. There it is. You see? You have a barbarian in you after all. Now, you don't get away that easy. Picture Uncle Walt up there. What does he remind you of? Don't think. Answer. Go on. A, a, a madman. What kind of madman? Well, think about it. Just answer again. A crazy madman. Oh, you can do better than that. Free up your mind. Use your imagination. Say the first thing that pops into your head, even if it's total gibberish. Go on, uh, go on. A sweaty tooth madman. Good God, boy. There's a poet in you after all. There. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close them. Now, describe what you see. Uh, I, I close my eyes. Yes. Uh, and this image floats beside me. A sweaty tooth madman. A sweaty tooth madman. With a stare that pounds my brain. Oh, that's excellent. Now give him action. Make him do something. His hands reach out and choke me. That's wonderful, wonderful. And all the time he's mumbling. What's he mumbling? Uh, mumbling truth. Yeah, yeah. Truth like, like a blanket that always leaves your feet cold. Forget them, forget them. Stay with the blanket. Tell me about that blanket. You, 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 you push it, stretch it. It'll never be enough. You kick at it, beat it. It'll never cover any of us. From the moment we enter crying to, to the moment we leave dying, it'll just cover your face as you wail and cry and scream. This. I kind of appreciate like at one point I was kind of like with Keating I was like I don't know if you should be like should you be pushing this kid that much and you have to definitely know when you can push students um, and how you can push them you know because um, you got to be careful not to be like a bully I think yeah you've got uh, power even if it's for their own yeah even if it's for their own good you know you're thinking it's for their own good but that's not appropriate to always get the kid to stand up in front of the class if they're going to like break down into tears and I think he realized where he could push him and then when he was able to do it that it was successful um, but he didn't he didn't do it he didn't do it first day you know mm-hmm. he didn't make him, him get up in front of the class bit. the first day yeah and I think that's really important that knowing your students very well and then uh, I do wish we had a little bit more about Todd although I mean I don't know how you could put more about every student in this you know this group of kids but uh, you know when Todd we find out about Todd's uh, parents a bit through the desk set um <laughs> he's like he got this desk set and it's like it's the same the same gift they gave him the year before and he didn't like it then uh, flying <laughs> desk set yep it wants to fly can you hear it can you fly bobby it doesn't matter because you're gonna get another one next year <laughs> so oh uh, yeah and that just builds him up extra is the great awesome guy mm-hmm. before his downfall. I, I don't know oh, if we've God, got anything yeah. to left in the 
in the movie before we move on towards that part. Uh, I know we talked about um, a little bit, but uh, yeah, I like Lawanda. I like how he uh, got, mm-hmm. what was his name? Charlie? Was it Charlie? He Charlie, yeah. And, yeah. you know, the the anonymous letter in the school paper about letting girls come there mm-hmm. and the painting the lightning <laughs> bolt on his chest and playing the saxophone yeah. and telling the girls, he oh, wrote, yeah. like love- all those famous poems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, he, uh, the saxophone part when he does that where you're like, first you're like, Oh, this is just like screwing around on this saxophone. He doesn't know what he's doing. And then, and then when he actually gets into it and you're like, Oh wow, you can really play. Um, I, I appreciate and, the, and of course everybody else around there was like you can really play and then I like the God the phone call from God yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the bell it's God he wants you to let girls come here <laughs> yeah I just I love that it's so he's 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 he, Charlie's an interesting character because he's already kind of like that you know rebellious spirit mm-hmm. from the get-go you know yeah but he uh but he really engages with what Keating's talking about in his own way. You know, everybody's got their own way of engaging with it. And, you know, for him, it's about being cool and getting girls. And even if you don't always remember their name, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and, he uh, took a beating for it. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Um, have you seen the movie? It's kind if... of a. Sorry. If? Uh, no, I haven't. It's from the 60s. I watched it uh, recently for the first time for a guest spot on uh, Theme Warriors, where we did youth like youth and revolt, school rebellion stuff. It was a 60s movie about a British boarding school. And I think it was Malcolm McDowell's first film. Oh, rad. And I was noticing a lot. I mean, of, of course, it was the all-boy boarding school, but uh, I was seeing a lot of... Uh, commonality between the two this time uh, since i hadn't watched if ever before but it was i would definitely suggest checking that out there's a good criterion and i'm sure you know other ways to get check out movies but mm-hmm. it's kind of kind of surreal and there's there's some other famous people in it but it was uh yeah malcolm mcdowell is one of the main characters and oh the paddling yeah the the corporal punishment at the schools <laughs> yes um, I actually taught, um, I say taught, no, some of the schools I, I taught at, we did still do, we did still have paddling. Um, by this point, teachers never did it. Um, it's always, it was in Texas. Um, it's kind of up to the school district. There's not a, there's not a Texas law about it. Um, besides obviously don't, you know, be abusive, but the, um, in terms of whether school districts allow it or not allow it, it's, it's up to the schools. And, uh, but when I went to school, um, in the, uh, especially middle schools when I remember, um, I had a music teacher, um, who had a paddle and it was kind of, it reminded me of this one. Um, not, it wasn't as big, but it had the holes cut in it. So it moved faster mm-hmm. and, you know, it had the, the grip that was all, you know, nice and, uh, shiny <laughs> from Sits use, around working on it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and he would like he would just sit it up there. And the thing about it is, this, I love this. This, this was a, he was a band director, and uh, I loved him. I thought he was great. I never had a problem with him at all. And he really encouraged me. Um, I played trombone at the time. You know, he really helped me. You know, in terms of confidence with music and stuff. But he he would just have it up there, and he just kind of referred to it every now and then. <laughs> I don't think he ever used it. You know, that's the thing about it. I don't think he ever used it on a on a kid while he was teaching. 
there but the paddling thing i remember and i remember hearing about it like my, my like i said my older brother had problems with school so he got paddled a fair amount um in middle school um i didn't even i didn't even know who our assistant principal was i knew i knew well i mean i knew he was bald but i didn't know anything about him I never talked to him my brother on the other hand was like intimately re- uh familiar with him uh <laughs> <laughs> in that sort of way but yeah the paddling man that's uh and making him count you know yeah at the same time, um, thankfully, I never had to do anything like that as a teacher because I couldn't. I wouldn't do that. Um, yeah. But it was never expected either. So by the time I was teaching, so that's good. Um, pretty, that's pretty much gone for most most schools now. Um, like the last school district I was at, it's a northern suburban, northern Houston, North Houston suburban school district, and they're pretty. You know, progressive in that sense, they're not gonna. They're not corporal punishment. The places where there were were like these older, these rural schools in Texas. Uh, we still had corporal punishment there, but again, it was the principal mm-hmm. uh, only. So, I think all I ever saw my vice principal do was he when we would leave for lunch, he would stand at the outer boundary of the school property, spitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, he chewed tobacco and he spat it into a coffee <laughs> mug, yelling at people for smoking. He'd just stand there at lunch when everybody's <laughs> leaving and spitting his tobacco juice into his mug, like, don't smoke. God, I can't remember. Yeah, smoking is bad for you. Yes. <laughs> he had like uh, the baldness that has the hair around the side, like uh, Lando Calrissian's mm-hmm. dude. Mr. Kent. That's right, Mr. Kent. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. If you're out there. I hear you're not as big of a dick as I thought you were, but <laughs> obviously you know, not. I, I if think you're that's most. Most. <laughs> yeah, that's usually mostly true. I think uh, it's not always true. Obviously, sometimes people really are just as big of a dick as you thought they were. But yeah. um, with teachers, especially people in authority, you know, um, like the dude in the Breakfast Club, you know, the principal there, and they're having the, the chat with the janitor. Yeah, he is a dick, but he's like. You kind of get a little bit more about him. You'll understand where he's coming from a bit, you know. Uh, Whereas, I, like Nolan in this one is just a dick the whole time. I mean, he's just he's just terrible um, in so many different ways. Yeah, Sam is uh, asshole all the way through this thing. And I was I was trying to mm-hmm. remember. I feel like I've seen him as an administrator in um, other school movies. I I think he was a teacher in Outside Providence. If you ever saw that, okay, yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. That one is uh, 1970s uh, Providence, Rhode Island, working class stoner kid uh, gets in trouble and gets sent to a boarding school. And he sort of clashes with authority while learning life lessons. You know, uh, Amy Smart plays the girl at the school that he Mm -hmm. likes. There's, you know. The losers, the outcasts, the rebellious kids. Uh, Alec Baldwin plays his dad with like a really thick <laughs> New England accent. Uh, he calls him Dildo. Yeah. I forget what his name is. But like, hey, Dildo, come over here. <laughs> What's a prep school? It's to prepare you for not getting your neck broke by me. You're just goddamn lucky Kavich had pulled with the judge. Grass, no license. You hit a parked cop car. Don't get me started again, Dildo. That's a good movie. I've, uh, yeah, I, I like that one. That's another one I'd... If you yeah. like school movies, uh, I'd check that one out. 
I do mm. have an obsession with them, don't yeah. I? Fuck. This is like therapy. <laughs> but anyway, um, long tangent. Uh, there's always at least one. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, after um, after Lawanda gets beaten, he does says, damn the man. I'm not giving anybody up. Mm-hmm. And they continue yep. with their Dead Poet Society stuff. And what? Who? Neil. Neil's dad. You made me a liar. You made a liar out of me, Neil. Just give me my fucking phone call. Shows up and it's like, I'm going to fuck up your life now. Uh, for your own. Yeah, game. man. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did, what? Don't do the play. And they sort of set it up. So one thing I really appreciate really in trouble. Yeah. What did you appreciate? Yeah. The, the, well, you were just about to say like Keating, you know, he, he tells him like, go talk to your dad. You know, like go talk, actually talk to him about it instead of just, you know, saying you know, he doesn't encourage him to go do the play without, uh, you know, outside of his dad's authority. And, uh, and so I kind of appreciated that because of course it comes back around and that's why so much of what, what's said about Keating is, is so wrong. But yeah, he says, go to, go talk to him, you know, explain it to him. Have you talked to him in the way you've talked to me about it? You know, and that sort of thing. And, 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 you know, who knows? I mean, chances are he wouldn't have accepted it, but at least he would have been honest about it, I guess. And then, and, and it, it just, it kind of hurt when I, you know, I knew knowing what kind of knowing what's coming and then and, and neil is like uh, oh yeah i talked to him and he's fine with it maybe he'll let me keep doing it and you're just like i know you're you're lying kid <laughs> <laughs> um it's just uh it hurt yeah. yeah i wonder if keating was really thought that he really did talk to his dad or if he suspected we don't really know we don't get that from the movie but i don't think but seems like there mm-hmm. might have been might have been a little bit of skepticism because he asked again he's like so mm-hmm. you you talked to him yeah. you said what you said to me yeah 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 all right because i guess up until that point, yeah it's kind of one of those things where there are time him. right yeah yeah and i think there is that where you know sometimes you know somebody's lying to you but you just have to kind of be like okay all right yeah. i'm not going to accuse you of lying right now we'll wait and see what happens but yeah they go to the, go, the play again we, we talked about the play earlier but um i really like it uh, I like the production. I think it's pretty cool looking. What you can see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has his last, um, what is it called? A soliloquy? Soliloquy? Is that mm-hmm. what, what that would be yeah. called? When his dad walks in. Yeah, when you're, uh-huh. Oh, man. Ugh. He just stands there, dude. Kurt, Kurt Wood Smith is always, <laughs> he's always so great at being like that, you know? Yeah. He just, he just exudes this disappointment. <laughs> and... <laughs> Um, I, I always like I think of it as, uh, him as Red, you know, because mm. that's where I first saw him uh, yeah. and noticed him. I think because I'm, I'm pretty sure I would have seen RoboCop before, but for some reason it just didn't click in my head uh, at the time. And then so it wasn't until later on that I was like, oh yeah, that totally was that guy from in RoboCop. Uh, he really was that guy. And then this one is the same way with this one. It was like, oh yeah, that was that is him. But just the just the, just the way he just stands there, just so. Stone face. There's like a moment though. I I feel like I, I saw it this time where I almost think that he almost said it was going to be okay, and then he hardens back up again. Mm-hmm. There's something about his facial expression this time around that I noticed that I thought maybe he might actually realize that his son loves this and should be at least allowed to participate in it, even if it's not the thing he does for a job. You know, yeah. and of course he doesn't. You no, know? he sees no value in the theater and doubles down on his dickishness. Yeah. Okay. Okay, let's get out of here. Mm-hmm. Says he's gonna take him out of school, takes him home, before he even does any of that stuff. What? 
And he's going to yeah. send him to military school too, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Military, military school, school of all places. You're going to Harvard. And then he has the dream <laughs> that turns out to be real. Yeah. I really, that's that whole sequence. Um, I think this is the first time I'd really, I, I remembered it, but the first time I really sat and watched it and really thought about it. And the fact that, you know, you have this uh, synth score that they, they kind of bring in throughout the movie. That's kind of mixed with, you know, you have bagpipe music too, but then you have some classical arrangement as well. But then the synthesizer that they have, that they bring in, um, you have this kind of drone through this dream sequence um, and then no sound, you know, uh, besides that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it, the tension that it builds there, I think is, is brilliant. Um, Cause you know, this isn't going to go well. Um, and then, and then when you, when you do have, you know, so much of it is hidden. And then they, when he, when Kurtwood's, when uh, Perry wakes up, when Neil, Perry, uh, Mr. Perry wakes up from the dream and says, what was that? You never heard the gunshot, which I thought was kind of, again, I, I was expecting the gunshot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you remember and then it, it didn't sometimes. happen. <laughs> A false, false. Yeah. Thing. Like, I'm pretty sure there's a gunshot here. Yeah. And then there isn't one. And you're like, oh, there, he doesn't, he did hear it, but he didn't consciously hear it and so we don't hear it and the way that the again the the movie kind of snaps back with the sound and everything when he wakes up you know what was that and then you're you're back into it um they do do the slow motion thing that has always been a little bit on the cheesy side uh and then gosh even i mean this was in 89 and even like you know 12 years later when peter jackson does a slow motion thing in uh lord of the rings with um uh, Pippin, I mean, picks up the the Palantir and it goes to slow motion, and it always looks. It's the it's the it's this one thing that always throws me out of this movie of the movie every single time I hit that point because it looks like television <laughs> all of a sudden. And uh, same thing here. I was kind of like, oh no, they did the slow motion thing. I get why though. I get you know I understand the reason, but it just it, it's the one part of it where I was like cinematically where I was kind of like thrown out of it for a second. But the uh, I thought the when you first walks in there and you don't see anything. Again, it's like this whole tension idea this um, uh, that it builds up until you see the smoke from the gun and then the body on the floor. Um, so so Neil, Neil killed himself yeah. because he couldn't live his life. Or I don't, I don't even want to yeah. try to, exp- you know, he didn't leave a note. But No, and, you know, he, I, like, I, I do kind of like that they leave that up to you to decide, you know, up to the audience to say, like, so what? Was it, you know, why did he do it? What, what was he thinking as he, as he did it? You know, what was his reasoning? I did, uh, David and I knew a kid, uh, for, he was more of a friend of David's. He was a, in my younger brother, David, um, he was more in his line, um, whose family was real strict. Um, they went to the same church that we did, but they were really super strict with stuff. And, um, I know he went off to college and, uh, I don't remember exactly what grade he, what uh, level he was in in college, but he committed suicide. Um, and we always kind of wondered if it was kind of that same sort of thing, all this extra pressure and then, you know, getting thrown out into the world, I guess. And then everything just kind of collapsed on him. But that's a, that, 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 that amount of pressure to live under for so long. Um, I just can't imagine it. You know, my, my parents always pushed me to do stuff and always encouraged me to do stuff, but they never like put their expectation on me that, that way. Um, yeah, I was we were pretty free to choose. Too. Yeah. It's hard when and, uh, but then yeah the oh man <clears throat> Charlie comes in there and tells uh 
Not, uh, not Charlie Knox. Um, no, it is Charlie. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get them confused sometimes. But yeah, Charlie comes in there to tell, to tell Todd and just the tear, you know, the whole thing. I was, I'm just, at this point, I just, I, I just cry through this last part of it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then of course, and you have the witch hunt, right? The, we're going to yeah. get Keating. And Cameron. Yeah, you know, that's so f- Oh, I know. You know, what's, what's crazy about Cameron too, is just like, on the one hand, like I appreciate like the honor code idea. Like I get where that comes from. And there's been this whole, um, in, in both at the high school level and also at the college level, I've heard a lot about honor codes over the last like 10 years or so. And, um, so there's not, you know, definitely not a new thing. I've had him for a long time and you can, you can appreciate Cameron's point of view if it were just about telling the truth, right? If it were like, yes, we were in the dead poet society. Yes. We were inspired by Mr. Keating in an indirect sort of way, but this whole concept that Keating was like totally encouraged them to do it and all of the lies that were told, you know, yeah. about it. That's like, it's like, that's why Cameron's a rat to me. You know, <laughs> I know uh, as a teacher, you, you run into this all the time. You know, people uh, talk about, you know, snitches get stitches and stuff like that. And I was always like, if it's the truth and you're telling people what people need to know so that they don't get hurt, I don't see why that's a snitch. Like I never understood that part of it. But when you're actually lying about something, that's when you're, that's when the problem is you're, you're trying to get somebody in trouble um, to save yourself. And so you're over expanding on the, the, what they did um, to make it more about, Oh, this person, you know, they want to get rid of Keating. And so we're going to go along with the story that they want to tell. And that's what makes him so such a rat more than just the, not the, so much the telling the truth. Right. Yeah. There's, there's a big difference between he, yeah. he, told us to you know think for ourselves and be individuals you know all that stuff and i mean uh, keating even went mm-hmm. in earlier after the phone call from god thing it was like there's yeah. a difference yeah. between the marrow sucking and just sucking <laughs> don't fuck up your life to look yeah cool. but he's just uh yeah he says you don't choke on bones you know yeah. don't choke on the bones this is it's a brilliant bit there and and because he, he does want them to he wants them to think for themselves i think what's I appreciate a little bit of where Nolan's coming from with the concept of, you know, there is a lot that comes with life experience. Um, there's more to know, you know, you can't just let people make bad choices all the time. You know, (laughs) if they're, if, especially when you're, they're kind of in your charge, you know? Yeah. Like I, I, you know, if, if I know you're going to fail my class and you have to have my class to pass, I can't let you choose without trying. I can't let you choose to fail just because, you know, oh, well, it's your choice, so you don't come to class, that's fine. Like, there's certain things you can't do, I think. You're, you're still responsible as the adult um, to help people make good decisions, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you still have to make them think, let them think for themselves. I mean, that's a big part of why we end up in various sorts of problems in our country, I think. People don't want to think for themselves. They want to go with what people tell them. Well, that's easier, right? Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the easiest thing is always the best thing. That's that's the old saying, right? <laughs> yeah, right? It's uh, it, it, Just go along with it, and everything will be fine, and you'll be saved, supposedly. Um, yeah, you still need to think for you. I mean, you need to definitely think for yourself, but also be wise you know, about it, is Keating's message, I think. 
Um, I do, I do kind of wish they had put a little bit more of that in there, um, in the teaching side of things. Um, it's one thing we don't get from the, from the teaching side of it is he talks a lot about the feeling of the poetry and, and the passion of the poetry, but they don't talk about like the learning from the poetry that you, you get if you really read poetry, the understanding of, of, of the human experience. That is something that you can't, you know, it's, it's kind of a way, if you think about it, like literature is a way of giving people experiences that they either can't or won't have. And that changes people, not as well as going through the experience themselves, but it helps. It, it's, a, it's like a surrogate for that. You know, I can even look at my own life and say like, okay, I learned so much from these books that I read. You know, just to, to give an example, like I, my, my opinions about uh, the LGBT community and people change a lot through, not through experience, because I didn't, like, if, even if people I knew were, uh, were gay or lesbian or whatever, um, I didn't know that. And it was through reading things like um, uh, Strangers, the comic Strangers in Paradise, that I learned to empathize with people who, you know, who are going through this situation where the society has, you know, cut them out and treated them like uh, what they were lesser, uh, that they were terrible, and and that was the through the literature, right? It's like I I I was like, oh hey, I I. Maybe I, I don't think that anymore. You know, I don't think these are, this isn't a terrible blight on society that's going to ruin everything, which is the way that it gets portrayed by, you know, the Christian right. And uh, we forget that that's, that's a big part of what literature does. Art and literature about can help change people's minds through stories and experiences they can't have otherwise or won't have otherwise. Yeah, especially with the stuff that you're I wish, really into, like the Asimov mm-hmm. and Tolkien and... Philip K. Dick, maybe I'm guessing. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Philip K. We haven't gotten into our Philip K. Dick uh, stuff yet because, with uh, time wise, we haven't had time to read and watch movies as much as we want to. Mm-hmm. But at some point, Philip K. Dick, the Philip K. Dick, Dick, like maybe year is coming at some point, and watch we listen. <laughs> nice. I feel like I've heard you <laughs> we'll, bring him uh, up before. We'll yeah, we'll get into Blade years. Runner. We'll get into uh, Scanner Darkly. We'll get into all that. Um, I want to read some of the old, the, read some of the short stories, and then watch some of the really terrible movies that are based on that too. <laughs> like uh, the, uh, uh, who is it? The I say who is it? Like this is an obvious name, and my brain's gone blank. He's related to Francis Ford Coppola, Nicholas Cage. There we oh, go. Yeah. I'd have it at some point. I know that's a random way to go. How do I forget who Nicholas Cage is? Right. Um, but he <laughs> he was in a uh, he has a movie called Next that is based off a of Philip K. Dick story. Is it? And I've read the Philip K. Dick story that it's based on, and it is nothing like the Philip K. Dick story <laughs> at all. Like it's completely different. Like you think you think Blade Runner is different. This is like completely like why did you even say this was based on a thing? It's 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 but it, and it's so bad. Uh, they took like one aspect of the short story, which was this idea that this person has kind of a a really short precognitive ability. Um, you can kind of see into the future a little bit, a little ways, just like minutes ahead. Mm. But the but if you read the short story, it's like oh. you're like, how did you get this from this? It I've makes no seen sense at all. Once, yeah, I never read the story, <laughs> but I, I like I like my yeah, full K dig. Huh. Yeah, the story is real, uh, real short. It's uh, I forgot what it's called, but it's like this, uh, this 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 creature kind of. I don't remember if he was born in a lab or something like that, but I think he was, and he's like like golden and almost like a lion. 
and he doesn't even talk or whatever, but he's like very like sensual or whatever. And then, but he can like see if into the future a little bit. And so he's able to escape from this lab. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a cool story. It's more about the writing than about the plot. Um, but the, uh, technically that Nicolas Cage movie is based on that short story. <laughs> it's like, uh, not really. <laughs> If he was alive, maybe uh, he would have sued like Stephen King did to try to get all his names off mm. the lawnmower man. Oh, yeah. Because I think now yeah. he's only credited as title only because that is so mm. very, very different. I don't know if you've seen or read the lawnmower man. I haven't. Um, Stephen King's kind of uh, he's in my like, I need to get to this. Mm. Uh, I pre- I've read more of his like stuff about writing. I've read on writing and Dance Macabre. Oh, I love his um, writing book. And a couple of short, yeah, and some short stories I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't read, I think the longest thing I've read by him is um, Secret Window, Secret Garden. Oh, okay. Um, that is one of his novellas. That we, did a, we did a podcast last, yeah, we did a podcast on that last summer. That was one um, of the first ones of your show that I listened to. Oh, yeah, cool. Uh, that, was a, that was a really cool episode. And I, I, King is one of those, I've got the whole Dark Tower series to read. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm about halfway through the gunslinger and just, I kind of, I'm like that. I kind of will start reading something and then something else will come up and I'll put it aside for a while, sometimes for years. And then later on I'll be like, Oh, I need to read this and then I'll, I'll finish it. You know, I'll get to it. But King is on my list of things. I need to, re- I need to remedy that. There's a lot of things <laughs> I haven't read of Kings that I, I want to read, you know? Yeah. Um, There's just not enough hours. Just That's haven't. a short story though. That one. Yeah. That one's a very short story. The movie yeah uh, don't ever i i wouldn't ever recommend watching the movie and <laughs> it, it really has nothing mm-hmm. to do with with the short story the short story is like a stephen king short story with the weird supernatural right. type god gods and folklore and mythology and stuff uh in a mm-hmm. modern world and the movie god it's been so long i i knew it was a shitty movie when i was like 12 or 13 when i saw it <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's about getting sucked into the internet or something like that yeah it gets brought up a lot with because i'm really into cyberpunk stuff and that gets brought up a lot with that um and so i'd heard about it and people could talk people some people talk about it like it's a good movie or something and i'm always like i've heard this is not good <laughs> Um, but maybe from a certain gets, perspective it is I don't know <laughs> the yeah, only technology in the maybe it's, story maybe it's a thing phone. yeah maybe it's a thing that people appreciate for some reason or something that's outside of the goodness of the thing yeah, if that makes sense you know <laughs> but I don't know man um, but I, I've heard it it's come up a lot with because uh, when I was looking at cyberpunk stuff especially like Ghost in the Shell just came out this year um the Scarlett Johansson movie. So I kind of got back into cyberpunk stuff with that. And we did uh, uh, Johnny Mnemonic, you know, for the podcast. And so that kind of brought that up too. So and Lawnmower Man gets brought up a lot with that. So it's kind of in those things where I'm like, I remember this movie came out. And I remember it looked just, the, the special effects look bad. But that's all I remember about it. It's <laughs> 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 bad computer graphics <laughs> from the 90s. So, yeah, let's see. Back in, well, I mean, Keaton gets fired. <laughs> Because uh, all the kids, one by yeah. one, well, not all the kids. I don't remember if uh, they all signed it, but they definitely showed the kids saying, "Yeah, okay." It's sure. the main five: Cameron, Meeks, Pitts, um, Knox, and then finally Todd. Yeah, Todd's the last and the most reluctant. So, yeah, yeah. 
And uh, I, I, I think you keep wanting, I keep wanting him when I see that scene every time. I'm like, don't sign it. <laughs> don't sign it. Just, you can just say no. It's okay to say this is a lie and tell people it's a lie. And then, but I, I and I get it. Like, I, what are you going to do? You know, parental authority, administrative authority, everybody's telling you do the thing. Yeah. And you're and, 16, uh, 17 years old. Yeah. And I, and I like that Keating, like Keating doesn't blame them. He knows. Like, mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, that's a system. Yeah, I know the score. Uh, then there's the that heart swell, end of Karate Kid sort of emotional moment. <laughs> captain, my captain. Sit down, Mr. Anderson. You hear me? Sit down. Sit down. This is your final warning, Anderson. How dare you? Do you hear me? Oh, Captain, my captain. Mr. Street, I warned you. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. All of you. I want you seated. Sit down. Leave, Mr. Keating. Yeah, I happened to. Uh, I, I noticed like the the kid who uh, who's always like sick. Like I happened to. Um, I was trying to test my TV after I watched the movie. I realized that I'd watched the whole thing kind of stretched oh. a bit because um, my my DVD is old, so it's one of those um, where it was widescreen for full screen televisions. <laughs> That's how old it is. And I was like, oh, I've been watching that. I was wondering why Robin Williams' head looks like so like. <laughs> long like one of those like pre-human homo uh, erectus or something like that i was like why does this look so weird and then um i was uh i realized oh yeah it's, it's the setting is wrong and so i switched it back and i watched the first part like the very beginning when they're first showing everybody arrive at school and there's the kid with the he's wiping his nose and his he's talking to the dude about the medicine make sure you take this make sure you take that and all that sort of stuff and there he is wiping his nose and he stands up and he's got his handkerchief yeah and his glasses uh, and then this, the stupid kid, I say the stupid kid, but the one, the one kid who, uh, uh, kind of half-assed a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, he stands up, you know, I was like, on okay. there. Um, you're a good shit. <laughs> you're good shit, Mr. Keating. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Captain Cameron doesn't Captain. stand up though. No. But yeah. Oh, Captain, my captain. He looks so, Cameron mm. kind of looks ashamed for the first time. Yeah. Even, even after getting punched by LaWanda. He's like, fuck you, you're mm-hmm. out of school. So um, we're going to just... take a little break here, and I'm going to play some rad-ass promos for some rad shows. Uh, 
maybe I doubt there will be one for watch, read, listen. That's why I had Dwayne tell you about them already. Uh, (laughs) And then uh, we'll be right back and sort of wrap up and all that cool stuff. Uh, Final thoughts and whatnot. Uh, So awesome. All right. We will be right back. Hello? Hello, who is this? Who are you trying to reach? I don't know. Oh, I think you've got the wrong number. Do I? I'm going to hang up. Wait, don't hang up. What's that noise? Popcorn? You're making popcorn. Uh Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn when I listen to podcasts. I'm about to listen to a podcast. Oh, really? Which one? Probably the podcast on Haunted Hill. Is that the one with the two guys with the beards? Uh, yeah, Dan and Gav. Most episodes, they look at two different horror movies. Each episode, they look at a world of the strange, where they look at weird things from around the world. Sometimes, they even do special episodes where they look at different genres or directors' discographies and talk about them. Do you have a boyfriend? Maybe. So where can I find the podcast on Haunted Hill? Well, you can go to legionpodcast.com, Facebook, Twitter, or just go into iTunes and search for the podcast on Haunted Hill. So, are you going to ask me out? There is no spoon. Yes, there it is. Okay, okay. Can we just talk about the damn movie? Danger, danger. High voltage. When we touch. When we cheers. The flying guillotine is an awesome weapon. It's not practical. It's not even aerodynamic. But it's awesome. Chaps, could we possibly just talk about the movie? Easy Rider is cool. Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Easy Rider's cool. If you consider they're doing thousands of miles in the desert and they have fuel tanks the size of a pea. You'll get three miles out of that. Oh, not to mention one of them. One of the tanks is full of money. I call bullshit. Okay, okay. Can we just talk about the damn movie? Obsessive Cinema Discourse. Where podcast worlds collide. And now for something completely different. And we're back. Wow. It's like right. we weren't even gone. There's a lot of stuff in here that I was, as I was thinking about it, I thought I was going to be more negative about this than I ended up being, which is kind of funny. Um, my intention originally when I was thinking about the movie without watching it again was, oh, I'm totally going to like, like rail against the education system. And there's a lot of things I don't like about it. But I found, I found the story more compelling or continues to be as compelling as it was before, you know? So I find, I think I'm, I'm a little bit less um, negative than I thought I was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find you know, one that will let you I was go like... on, on a tangent about that. <laughs> we'll find one of those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the Welton School, you know, it's very, even though it's a boys' school, and that's outside of most of our experiences, I think, uh, boarding school, and it's in the 50s, so that's definitely outside of our experience. Um it still has a lot of the things that you see in a lot of education, you know, the, the teacher centered, uh, I'm going to lead the class and you're going to just do what I say kind of thing. And that kind of, uh, system, what the system wants and what the system does, which is a big part of, you know, why I'm kind of done with education for right now. Um, is just that whole, you know, that whole, this whole, this whole, um, 
you know, somebody's going to tell you, I mean, it, it, and, and some schools it's worse than others. Like there's, there's schools where they script everything to the minute where you're like, your lesson plan is say this at this time, do this, then do this and do this. Like they're telling you the teachers what to do uh, right down to the minute. And so there's no, there's no sense of, um, you know, instructional freedom at all. And then of course the, the whole standardized testing thing is, uh, is kind of crazy. And living in Texas, I don't know how other states are. I've only ever taught in Texas. We, we, we kind of pioneered that, you know, mm-hmm. um, back in the day. And at one point, uh, a few years ago, uh, a high school student was going to have to take 15 tests to graduate high school. The fuck? Um, all the core subjects and two for English specifically, the writing and a reading were separate tests. And if you had to have a certain score on all these tests. So for those three years, freshman sophomore, junior, uh, in order to graduate. I finally scaled that back. It's, it's down to five, um, but it's still five. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's, it's crazy. Like, the, like how, you know, you don't know what's going to be on the test. You kind of have to, you have all these standards, this very long amount of stuff that they say you have to teach. And it, it could be on any of this stuff for the most part. And it's like, how in the world do you, how do you teach people to actually think about a subject like history, like world history. Like imagine, you know, you've got from the beginnings of human civilization, the discovery of agriculture through today. Okay, now we can pull anything from in that whole time period to put on this test. So what do you, what do you focus on? Like how do you teach that? I don't know. Mm. Um, but it's, of course it's not just Texas either. It's also AP testing. So for AP classes to get college credit, maybe SAT and ACT. And the, there's a whole problem with that that, isn't relevant to dead poet society um, with the, uh, the racial biases and stuff like that. And then, you know, and that whole, so the whole standardization of education and I certainly something that you see in this movie um, a bit. And so I do appreciate Keating um, for wanting to buck the system a bit and do something different, you know, to help his students. I think it's cool. And then the system finds a way to get rid of them and everybody's sad. Somebody dies. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that parallel um before. But that's that's pretty interesting. But yeah, I don't know I don't know how that that's I guess my problem with it to a certain extent, like is how um like what do you do with that <laughs> as a person, you know? Yeah. Um and that's why I said like as a teacher, it's like I can't I can't be like you're not gonna be the person who's gonna like go in and chances are you're not going to be the person who's going to like be so inspirational and everything and everybody's going to love you and you're going to like change the world. And I just, sometimes like the weight of that is just so heavy <laughs> as a teacher. So yes, the little ways you reach man. students. There's some teachers I remember all the way right. back through and there's some just for little things. Thank you for the time you put in. Yeah, you're uh, welcome. But you know, yeah, thanks for having me. And also thank you for the time you put in teaching, man. Uh, Oh yeah. Thanks. But is there uh, anything else uh, you'd like to say about this movie or anything until we uh, get together again to talk? You please, if you had any sort of fun, uh, get a hold oh, of you. Yeah. If you think of a movie or um, you just want to do as many shows as David <laughs> to stay even, <laughs> uh, he and I already have a movie picked out at least one. Uh, so yeah, I've heard I had, I had a blast. I was a little, I was a little nervous because you're so well prepared. 
and I usually <laughs> feel like I I'm a co-host that ended up hosting his own show somehow. That's that's kind of how I go into it. Yeah, uh, yeah thanks right. again, man. Uh, thanks everybody. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for listening. Whenever you're listening to this, uh, remember to suck the marrow out of life and don't choke on the bones. Back in school, you ever get busted for trying to walk and have some administrator tell you, son, you can shirk your obligation and try to be different from the peers, but responsibility your future. Gotta find you. Gotta find you. Gotta find you. Structure gets all within its sight. Gotta find you. Gotta find you.